0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. Whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever body you live in, you are welcome here. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person, It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we now light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another.
1: The call to worship reading this morning is by St. Teresa. Do not think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. What we need is to love without getting tired. How does a lamp burn? Through the continuous input of small drops of oil. If the drops of oil run out, the light of the lamp will cease. What are these drops of oil in our lamps? They are the small things of daily life, faithfulness, punctuality, small words of kindness, a thought for others, our way of being silent, of looking, of speaking and acting, These are the true drops of love. Be faithful in small things, because it is in them that your strength lies.
0: Whenever we wonder what it is we're doing here, all we have to do is look on the wall, and we have figured it out for ourselves. That is always temporary, by the way, figuring out what you're doing. You have to do it over and over again. But for now, this is our mission. We love it. We wrote it on the wall. We say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: The meditation reading this morning is by Marjorie Bowen Sweetly, a former interim minister of this church. If, recognizing the interdependence of all life, we strive to build community, the strength we gather will be our salvation. If you are black and I am white, it will not matter. If you are female and I am male, it will not matter. If you are older and I am younger, it will not matter. If you are progressive and I am conservative, it will not matter. If you are straight and I am gay, it will not matter. If you are Christian and I am Jewish, it will not matter. If we join spirits as brothers and sisters, the pain of our aloneness will be lessened, and that does matter. In this spirit, we build community and move toward restoration.
0: Now is the time in our service when we breathe together, where we enter what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. This is the time when we can speak to God as we understand God, or we can listen to our inner wisdom as it whispers to us in a still, small voice. Or we can just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. It is in this still place that we can find center, that we can find clarity, compassion. We can sink our roots down into the heart of love which holds us. Let us enter the silence together, understanding that small child noises and the noises of life count as silence in this congregation. Most of you know that I have two sons who are now in their 20s. And although they're friendly now, they used to bicker quite a bit. My mission as a mother was to teach them to be good, useful citizens and good companions. That's what I had in my mind. I want them to be good to be with when they're older and useful in the world. So I asked myself, what happens in our culture when people fight like that? Well, if it gets too bad, they get fined or jailed for disturbing the peace. And I decided that I was going to teach them about the world out there by fining and or jailing them in our house. <laughs> Jail was time out, and a fine was uh, money, but they didn't have any money at first, which was a problem for this whole program to work. <laughs> so at the beginning of every week, I'd give them each a bag of nickels, and I'd say, um, Whatever nickels you have at the end of the week, you can keep as your allowance. But every time they would start to bicker, I'd say, if y'all don't stop that, you're going to each owe me a nickel. And of course they would always go, well, he started it. That cost a nickel. (laughs) Because as I had explained to them, I didn't care who started it. I didn't have time to figure out who started it. It takes two fools to have a fight and so if one of you starts it and the other one doesn't do anything, there's no fight, see? And um, I don't have time to have court every single time they bickered, so they both got fined. I, um, if, they, if they fought over a toy, I would give the toy a timeout for starting a fight. It would go to the top of the refrigerator. That was our toy timeout place. So this morning I'm talking about the second of our seven UU principles. We covenant to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. So our principles articulate the values that we want to pass on to our children. Um, We covenant means we promise. To affirm and promote, affirm just means say yes to, and promote means actually talk about it and further it in the world. And so um, our principles, some people say, are very mildly stated and quite easy. I say let us end each principle with beginning our homes and congregations, and that will make it as hard as it should be. So justice, equity, and compassion beginning in our homes and congregations. If you were to write this out for a child, you would just say, we should be kind and things should be fair. So justice is making things fair. You get what you deserve. Your actions have consequences. Um, I go to a lot of houses or kitchens or whatever where they have the sign on the wall that says, you open it, you close it, you spill it, you clean it up, you dirty it, you wash it, blah, blah, blah. But um, normally it ends up just being the mom who does those things. Not in your family's, probably just in my family growing up, it was my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Equity means that everybody has those same rules. So you have justice, you get what you deserve, you have equity, everybody gets what they deserve... But then you have compassion, which means sometimes you don't get what you deserve. Sometimes you get better. Somebody else closes it after you open it, or somebody else picks it up after you drop it. Somebody else washes it when you clean it, and that's compassion. That's not justice, really. Or maybe justice is complicated. Many churches talk about grace, which I think is involved in when you sometimes get better than you deserve. Sometimes you get more than what's coming to you. Compassion adds that grace. But why why is there so much pain and why is there so much misery? And I think It's because justice and equity and compassion are falling apart in some measure. They have to be in balance. It's right near the equinox right now, so it's fair to be talking about balance, that justice and equity and compassion have to be in balance. And how do we walk that path, balancing justice and equity and compassion, in our homes and in our congregations, it gets a lot more fuzzy. They, You know, justice and compassion fight with each other. And sometimes you have a person in life who has had, when a child, too much compassion. Where someone has said to him or her, oh, poor thing, they're just tired. And they get away with murder. And then they don't grow up into a good citizen or a good companion. Sometimes you... (sighs) Sometimes you can be, I think, this is just my opinion, it has no bearing on what you all have to think. But I think sometimes when you're raising kids or when you're in a congregation, there is such a thing as being too compassionate. Where you, you know, I was a therapist for 15 years, and so that's a professional um, uh, I can't remember what you call it. It's a it's a hazard of the profession to be too understanding. Like, oh, oh, you slashed six people to death. Well, I understand. I mean, you were just, you know, you were really angry, and your voice had been silenced when you were a child. No, it's never okay to slash six people with a knife. It's never okay. You can understand. You can be compassionate, but there still has to be justice. It can get difficult even in a, even in a, a raising children situation where nobody's slashing anybody. For example, I, um, I was a forgetful child. I would mark my place in my books with my allowance and always lose my allowance because it went back to the library. <laughs> um, my mother would just despair. And my children were forgetful too. But we worked out a thing where if they called me in an emergency after they got to school and said, Ma, I forgot my lunch, I would go, okay, I'm going to bring it to you. I wouldn't give them any trouble about it. But if it took me 20 minutes to go home and get their lunch and take it to the school and get back to my work, usually it took me 40 minutes. Whatever, however long it took me, they owed me that time. It's like, okay, I am happy to bring you your lunch, but now you owe me 40 minutes. And usually it would be 40 minutes cleaning up the garage, which was always a disaster. (laughs) And that seemed fair to me and to them. So it's okay. You get to make mistakes in this life. But sometimes you pay for your mistakes. I did have compassion for them because I knew where they got that forgetfulness. It took me a long time to learn to be as organized as I am today, which is pretty organized, but not I'm not at level 10. They also would always get in trouble for talking in their classes. (laughs) I have no idea where they got that from. (laughs) And I would say to their teachers, I'm sorry, their parents are both preachers, and um, we've been spoken to in the movies for adding to the dialogue on the screen and... uh, They just can't help it. I'm sorry. So actually, they didn't get in trouble for that. I'm sorry to all the teachers. But too much understanding and too much compassion can make you weak on justice. And that creates a problem in the world. So the balance between steely-eyed justice, where everybody gets what they deserve... Um, or even worse than they deserve, to the point of being unconstitutional. You know what I'm talking about. When when someone is killed and they say, "Just why is he getting taken to a nice air conditioned hospital where he gets room service?" And like, have you been in a hospital before? Everybody gets room service, but nobody wants to be there. Sorry, news addict. So there's a balance between that kind of harsh justice or harsh punishment and ooshy-gushy-mushy compassion, where you understand everything so deeply that you want to bypass the justice. The Buddhist teachers call that idiot compassion. I love that phrase. It originated with Trungpa Rinpoche, And Pima Chodron amplified it. She said this. It is the general tendency to give... Idiot compassion is the general tendency to give people what they want because you can't bear to see them suffer. Even if it's not good for them to have what they want. You just can't bear the suffering. When it's children, it's usually not actual suffering. It's usually just whining. But you give... Into it because it's making you suffer. So it's a selfish thing, idiot compassion, where you go, oh, poor thing. Last time they had a giant lollipop was yesterday and they need one today too. Just to make up an, an example. So Pima Chodron says that idiot compassion is really it comes out of selfishness, where you just think, oh, I just need to make this stop. But really, what happens is somebody who is suffering is sometimes suffering because they are doing something that is making them suffer. And if you alleviate their suffering without them stopping doing the thing that makes them suffer, you are enabling them to keep doing that thing. Does that make sense? So, if somebody is, um, you know, hitting themselves on the head with a hammer, and you say, let me get you a pillow to put in between you and that hammer, rather than saying, why don't you put the hammer down? That is idiot compassion. And we all have ideas about it, and I don't want to start getting too specific because <laughs> when I, I used to get really specific, or, and I still do sometimes, but in my congregation that I served in South Carolina, um, someone came through the line and shook my hand and said, I am so angry with you for using the events of my life as examples in your sermon. <laughs> oh, but I didn't know that person. <laughs> so in our urge for compassion, we have to use... The, the question we have to ask ourselves is this idiot compassion or is this real compassion and if our, in our urge for justice we have to quote to ourselves Mah- Mahatma Gandhi who says um, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind and, and toothless <laughs> that's not what he said <laughs> an eye for an eye we will all soon be blind <laughs> I don't know where toothless came from I'm gonna. I'll look it up in between services. You first service people. Bless your hearts. You get the whole sermon because I don't ever have to end it early. Um, but sometimes you get uh, extra stuff. <laughs> yeah, extra. Exactly. Malcolm X said. Sometimes you have to kill an evil person in order to save a bunch of innocent people. I don't know if that's true. I would rather not kill anybody. My dad used to say, which I cannot find on Google anywhere, but he said it was a Chinese proverb. I suspect now that he just made it up, but I'm not sure. Mercy to the tiger is cruelty to the lamb. You can't let a tiger just move in amongst the lambs and go, Oh, let's just talk it out. It'll be fine. He hasn't actually done anything to you yet. You're still in one piece. Don't worry about it. Where the lambs are getting nervous because the tiger comes up next to him and goes, Hmm. You've got to keep the tiger away from the lambs. So we wrestle in a church community because we know, we know each other. And when someone behaves badly, not that they ever do in this church. This is another church I'm talking about. When someone behaves badly, people go, oh, well, I know that person. They just, you know, They just are a little bit brusque. That's true. Knowing the person gives you a level of compassion. On the other hand, other people are hurt by the bad behavior. Where's the compassion for them? There has to be a balance of justice and compassion. Now, love is the word that some people say, which, which encompasses both. When you love someone, you want them to be their best, and you also have compassion for them. So love might cover it, and sometimes you can challenge people in love to become better. But I would do that very, very, very rarely and very carefully, only after you've actually looked at your own self to see that you have cleaned up everything in your own environment before you start pointing out something in other people's environments. You know, preachers preach to themselves as much as they preach to anybody else. I need to hear that. So justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. We tried to codify it. It's in our Covenant of Healthy Relations that you heard about in the children's story. The Covenant of Healthy Relations is on a big rolling board in the fellowship hall so that we can remind ourselves of it over and over. If you sign the membership book of this congregation, you're agreeing to affirm and promote the principles, and you're agreeing to the Healthy Relations Covenant that we all um, voted on. And if justice, equity, and compassion still feels too vague to you, then just put little words at the end of it and think about it during the day. You go, justice, equity, and compassion when I'm at the grocery store. Justice, equity, and compassion at the gym. Justice, equity, and compassion when I'm on the phone with tech support. (laughs) Justice, equity, and compassion when I'm under the influence of asphalt. All of those times, we ask ourselves, what is justice, equity, and compassion? And now and then, we get to celebrate a a step forward in the world of justice and equity and compassion. This weekend, the National Museum of African American History and Culture opened um, in Washington, D.C. The opening ceremonies were beautiful. Tickets are hard to get. Everybody wants to see it. We all know that it will take us apart when we go in that place. They opened it with a bell. And I want us to get our bells out. Take your cell phones off silent. Let's join with the freedom bell from the First Baptist Church of Williamsburg, Virginia, and celebrate in our joy. Thank you all so much. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind. And breathe and blow Remember the way of the fire And sparkle and glitter and glow Remember the way of the water And ebb and flow Remember the way of the earth And grow Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.